Thanks for listening to The River's Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. So this morning, and we're back into our What and So What series. Um, last week was heavy for me because it, it was something I was really passionate about. I had a mom who was incredibly prophetic and an amazing leader and constantly just kind of shoved down. And so if you got some of my emotion from that, I'm sorry, but I'm also thankful and I'm, I'm hopeful that it resonated with some of you. This topic, um, I'm a little more nervous because people have so many preconceived notions when you bring up this idea and you can say one sentence and someone can just turn you off or walk out because you didn't say something that they liked. And so typically when I talk about things, um, I talk about them differently. I speak about them differently. And so I, I feel a little nervous that um, what I have to share and what I have to share from God's word might not be given the time of day because you hear one thing and then your mind gets shut off to it. So... If we could pray together and just ask God to speak to us, I would be grateful because um, it has very little to do with me, although I did prepare a sermon this morning. So, Father, I ask that you speak to us. We ask that you speak to us. There is a story in your word that says when you speak, um, things are actually created from nothing. And so we would like something to be created in us this morning, um, even if it's a bit different than what we uh, would expect. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was 19 years old, I went, to, I went on a trip to Singapore and then Dhaka, Bangladesh, and then Calcutta, India, and it was like a sports mission trip, and we were playing basketball and sharing our testimonies, and when I look back today, I'm not sure how effective it was at all. I think it was just a lot of basketball and complaining at officials and then turning around and trying to tell people, like, we love Jesus. Um, so I don't know how effective it was, but there was a moment being 19 years old and standing in um, a meeting, sitting in on a meeting of the Youth for Christ convention of the country of Singapore. And Youth for Christ was the main mission in Singapore, so they did everything to try to reach that country for Jesus, and they do so many, many awesome, powerful things. And while we were there, people were having the opportunity to get up and share about their ministries and what they were doing, and there were just dozens and dozens and dozens of things going on in Singapore. And then one young woman stood up, from the States, and she had been in Singapore for probably about five years, I think. And she stood up and she started to cry. And, and she said, I came here as a missionary to share Jesus. And I encountered all of these different Buddhist monks. And I realized very quickly that they were more passionate about their faith than I was about mine, and they knew more about what they believed than I did about what I believed. And she ended her testimony time with, I don't even know what I believe right now. 
some people's gut reaction to that would have been, I need to go to this woman and I need to get my, my Ravi Zacharias book out and my Lee Strobel Case for Christ, and I need to show her why what she believes is right and um, why what these other people who I've never met in my entire life and have no idea where their hearts are, are wrong. Um, but for me, I feel like I had a Holy Spirit reaction in that moment. Like I saw something deeper. And it was this idea that this young woman was just terrified. And she was being pulled out of her purpose out of fear that she was on the wrong track. And so I'm 19 years old and I'm sitting there and uh, they're, they're still doing testimony time and I just raise my hand. Like, I think I need to speak. And my whole team of, like, 30-year-old men are looking at me terrified. Like, what is this young man going to do? So I walk up to the stage, and I take the mic, and I just start quoting Ephesians chapter 6. Because it talks about how our struggle isn't against people. Our struggle isn't against beliefs. Our struggle is against something that is trying to destroy us, to take us out. Um, an enemy who hates us, and afterwards, I got a couple people to gather around this young woman, and we laid hands on her, and we prayed for her, and we didn't pray that, like, she would believe the right things, or that she would be convinced of what was right. We prayed that whatever spirit was on her, holding her down, causing her to just feel crippled, like she was in the middle of another country, but couldn't do anything for the Jesus who she loved, we prayed that that spirit would be gone. And I don't, I can't really explain what happened, and you don't have to believe me or not. Um, I'm just telling you the story. She, she turned into a joyful person in that process. And I had a friend say he either saw or felt something leave, and that was weird to me because I was 19, and I didn't want to think about demons flying out of people. But something happened because we stepped into the pain that this young girl was experiencing and just loved her. But she was engaged in a debate of other religions and what do I do with this. And for some reason, she had become very confused. And so the topic today is other religions. Now you know why I'm nervous. Everyone has a different thing they want me to say right now. You want me, some people want me to, you know, list the differences of all the religions. Hindus believe this, Christians believe this, Buddhists believe this, Christians believe this, Islam believes this, um, and we should be afraid of that. And then, you know, Christians believe this. Some people want me to say, you know, no matter what religion you believe, as long as you're, you know, pursuing with all of your heart, you're going to find God. And no matter what, no matter which direction I take, there's potential that someone is greatly disappointed. And so I just think that I have to reach a point where I don't really care what you think. So I've been trying to do that this morning. And I want to come out of the Word of God again. Now, I'm going to assume that you are here 
because you've had some type of an encounter or you desire some type of an encounter with this guy named Jesus. If that's not true, then maybe you're just here for some type of a divine reason. But this is a Christian church that that believes in Jesus, and so I have to assume that you're here because you believe in Jesus, and with that assumption is the belief that you have been transformed by this Jesus, or you're seeking to be transformed by this Jesus, and because of that, we kind of have a premise that we stand on, and that is, that is the principle of the Jesus way, how Jesus lived his life, what Jesus offers to us, and the example that he sets. So what do we do with other religions, and what do we do with people who believe differently than us? Here's where it gets tricky. I didn't start with the beginning of the word of where all of this took off, like the Tower of Babel and and things like that. I decided to just start with Jesus and this idea. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 7, Jesus is in the desert, and he's being tempted by the devil. This is how the story goes. I have to remember, this screen is off. He's being tempted by the devil. And here's how that story goes. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. There's a moment, now follow me here. I would love to do a series one of these times on the three temptations of Jesus because I think they're super powerful, but we're just touching on number two right now. There's a moment when Satan is asking Jesus to prove God's word to him. Satan quotes God's word and says, if if you do this, the angels will catch you. So, So if that's true, prove it. And we see times in the Old Testament where like people do have to prove God. Elijah's standing on Mount Carmel. He's about to be killed by 400 prophets of Baal, and then God proves himself to save his life. And so Satan is playing on this idea that God must need to be proven. But this is my, this is my ultimate question in it that I want, I want us to think about here. Why is that a big deal? Like, So Jesus, jump off the cliff and let the angels catch you, and boom, you're right. You've proven that your religion is right. You've proven that your your faith is right. You've proven that your God is true, and why would it matter? So why would the devil want Jesus to spend time and energy proving God to him? Why do you think he would? Here's what I believe. I don't believe God needs to be proven. And to proof text that, I would go to Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. But without excuse from what? without excuse from needing to prove God, without excuse from needing God to be proven to you. So, so it, you know, 
if, if you have this end of time theology, at the, at the end of time, nobody's going to stand before God and say, I just I didn't see you anywhere. I didn't know you were there. Romans 1.20 says his invisible qualities have been made known. So God doesn't really need proven. So go back to Jesus standing on the edge of a cliff and think of it this way. If the devil can get Jesus to re-engage in this debate, something that God has already decided, if the devil can get Jesus to re-engage in this, then he can reopen this conversation and he can create doubt. He can say, yeah, the angels caught you, but it says here in the Bible, do this. So, I mean, he can, he can start a circus game that, that can't be won where you're trying to throw the ball into the bucket and no matter how hard you try, you're never going to win the stuffed bear because the bucket's tilted funny. You know what I mean? And so if, if, if the devil can get Jesus to re-engage in a, debate, in a debate that's already been decided, he can reopen this conversation and create doubt. Now, the church has been trying to prove God ever since I can remember. And I can even today, right now, go find content of people trying to prove God from long before any of us were born. It's just like a thing we do. We have to prove that we're right and everybody else is wrong. We have to prove God, and if we can prove him, we think that'll save the world. And we have re-engaged in a discussion that was decided when God placed his invisible qualities in this world. We've re-engaged in a discussion. We've reopened it, and in our effort to prove we are right, of which direction is actually right. You need to go this way instead of this way. And in a very real sense, we've jumped off that cliff that Jesus refused to jump off of and asked God's angels to catch us. And now people are debating it all over the world. And so when Jesus leaves the desert after being tempted, I mean, this, this, this whole thing, this jumping off the cliff thing, it was never something Jesus was going to do. For Jesus, there's nothing to prove. There was only something that needed to, fulfill, to be fulfilled, and Jesus was here to fulfill and bring the love of God to the world. He wasn't here to prove anything. It was already proven. So, so when Jesus leaves the desert after being tempted, Jesus enters into, and just, just read the Bible to, to fact check me here. When Jesus leaves these temptations, he enters into a ministry of forgiveness and healing and peace and love. That's what Jesus is doing. So the question about other religions of which I haven't really mentioned any, which might make some of you mad because I, I didn't come to talk about that today. The question that I would ask you is what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do with other religions? Remember, he's the first one of his kind. So almost everybody else is another religion at this point. He's doing something new. And so what did he do with other religions? He loved them. He, he simply loved them. He wasn't afraid of them. He didn't try to protect himself from them. 
He didn't try to prove himself right and them wrong. I think it's important that we hear that, so I'm going to say it again. He wasn't afraid of them. He didn't try to protect himself from them. And he didn't try to prove himself right and them wrong. He fed them by the hundreds and even the thousands. He healed them. He met them at water wells in the heat of the day. And he hung out with them. The only religion that Jesus ultimately confronts in any kind of negative way is his own. The, the Jewish one that he had come, come into. And that's simply because there was no love there. There was no love there. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' time were law-abiding citizens who were rejecting the outsider. They were law-abiding citizens who were rejecting the outsider or anyone different from them for the sake of morality and law-keeping. That's what was happening. They were rejecting people who were different from them for the sake of law-keeping and morality. They didn't know how to love. And so the devil, when he tempted Jesus, back to temptation number two, wanted Jesus to become like these people, people who were really good at being right, with an incapacity to love another human. And the church has become really, 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 really good at being right, with an incapacity to love other people. And so Jesus went to the cross, and he died. And he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we read this really powerful verse in John chapter 3, 16, that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Like gave him into this mess of people who don't know how to love and who only know how to be right and only know how to argue and only know how to kill each other if they disagree and, and whole cities that have built, you know, castle structures around themselves to protect themselves from the invading other religions. And he said, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That word right there, after believes, that word in, it, it's a really important word. In. Believe in. Because when you believe in something, it's different than believing about something. In is a really big deal. There is a difference between believing in someone and believing about someone. And when the church has tried to prove Jesus... When we try to prove him, we only try to prove things about him. Let's prove that he rose from the dead. Let's prove this happened. Let's prove that the Bible is the number one historical document in the world. Let's prove all of these things about Jesus and about God. But, guys, but. And I'm passionate about this because I think the world can be transformed if we would alter our trajectory. In order for someone to believe in Jesus, 
and not just about Jesus, they're going to need to see and experience something more profound than a good argument. In order for someone to believe in Jesus, they are going to need to see and experience the life of another person who lives and loves like Jesus. That's just, the, that's just the reality. In order to experience transformation, someone's going to not need a good argument. They're going to need to experience a life that lives and loves like Jesus. And so we hear from one of the greatest Hindu teachers and examples of all time, Mahatma Gandhi, who said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That really bothers me. Because he said it a long time ago, and it's still the same. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I think this is a short message today, and I just here, here's, what I, here's what I hope that you know. And I hope that we're good soil. God doesn't need you to prove his existence. God doesn't need you to prove your theology. He doesn't need you to stand on a corner with a sign listing all of your beliefs. He doesn't need you to argue with another religion. God didn't need Jesus to throw himself off of the cliff to prove who he was to the world, and he doesn't need you to either. He doesn't need it. My hope is that you and I have been so transformed by Christ that our life is so full of love that everywhere we go, people are transformed. That's my hope. That my life is so transformed by Christ that I'm so filled with his love that, that, I, that I don't have the need to prove anything that I can just live in the example of who he is. And everywhere I go, people's lives would be transformed. My hope is that you and I learn to live and love like Jesus loved and value that more than our desire to be right. My personal opinion is that Really well-written books like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Like, that book is so well-written, and it is awesome. I, I believe it was written to Christians to make them feel good about what they already believed. And I think it does that. I think it accomplishes that. But I don't think that argument, I mean, we're, we're like, hey, you don't really believe in God? Here, read this book. I got it for you. As opposed to... Here's my life sacrificed for you. What, what do you need? Let me live and love you like Jesus. Any time that I have any encounter with someone who actually wants to know this, this thing, this life that I live, it's usually because of something in my lifestyle that triggers something in them that makes them curious. And then the Word of God comes into play. Let your light shine before men and women so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your, God, your Father in heaven and be ready to give an answer as to the hope that you have. 
not get, be ready to give an apologetic answer as to why you believe what you believe. Be ready to give an answer as to the hope that you have because your life's been so different that people are curious. And so what do we do with other religions? What do we do with people who believe things that are differently, di- different than us? What do we do with people who, who, who believe something different than us but also have a capability to love? Because they're created in the image of God. We love them. We cling to Jesus. Like we follow the Jesus way, the way that Jesus taught us to live. And we love with all the power of the God that is inside us. God just needs us to love better. I don't think that answers our question necessarily. What do we do with other religions? We love better. We love better. It's a super arrogant thing for somebody to be like, that's the guy who can answer all your questions. I'm the person who can, has the best arguments. God just wants us to love better. And friends, believe me when I say this. And it might be a stretch, but believe me when I say this. That is enough to save the world. Because that's what Jesus did. He just came and he loved with every piece of DNA in his body. And people were so curious that they needed to know where that hope came from. Consider it. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.